The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 313. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, where you can watch this podcast, at Brian McClanahan. You can find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address, excuse me, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. You do get a free class when you enroll, so it's a win-win for you. It's free. You get a free class. It's great. And you can purchase one of my courses there. I do have a new course that will be released within the next couple of weeks, so you're going to want to get in because those that enroll get the best deals on the new courses. So enroll for free, get the free class, and then get the best deals. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep these lights on, help keep the podcast going. You can buy your Brian McClanahan book plates there if you want my autograph on one of my books. You can do that. I also have a big announcement with that probably within the next week or so too. So a lot of great stuff forthcoming with, with me and some things that I'm trying to provide for you during this very strange time in American history. You can also support the show by going to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That is my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It's a great way to get good content and also support the show as well. So you can use that Learn True History link. And always please share my material on social media. Like it on Facebook, you know, uh, retweet it on Twitter, whatever I do with that. Try to get the message out. We need people thinking locally and acting locally now more than ever. Rate this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, there's so many ways you can get involved and help spread the message of the show. And organic growth is the best best growth. So uh, I, I do appreciate it. If you want me to talk about something, send me an email. I may not respond back to you, but I do read them. So um, you know, please stay in touch. Now, it's good to be back, right? I mean, I, I last podcasted a couple of weeks ago. Since then, if you're looking at this on YouTube, you can see the studio is different because I have moved. So uh, it's uh, that's why I shut everything down for a couple of weeks. And it might as I might as well have been Johnny Appleseed in that time because, I mean, my gosh, uh, you know, here here we are two weeks later. The whole world has changed. Two weeks ago, I was planning on doing a show, and I'm still going to do that this week, but a little different variation of that now talking about reopening the economy and uh, um, what people were trying to do to get that through. Now we're talking about riots. And, uh, I mean, the the whole world has changed in two weeks. Um, In some ways, I think that all of this is uh, a, a way of testing what Americans are willing to tolerate. I mean, the insanity of, of people who are out there promoting the violence and looting and other things, you can't even make it up. We're living in the early stages, in my opinion, of a French Revolution-style revolution in America. This is the eve of a third American revolution. Uh, We saw the first, of course, if it really was a revolution, I don't don't think it was, it was a war for independence, but we saw that. The second, of course, was the period following the war in 1865, 
now we're really into the third. The 1960s don't hold a candle to what's going on right now because abnormal behavior has been normalized. And so we're really in some very strange times. But I want to talk about in this first episode back because I've gotten a, several emails about this uh, wanting me to address this particular question. And that is, what power does the president have to call up the National Guard? Uh, or call up the U.S. military to go in and put down domestic unrest. What power does the president have to do that? We've seen Trump go out in various photo ops, but he's talked about being the law and order president. Now, the last time we heard that was the 1960s when Richard Nixon was president, and he promised to be the law and order president. And what happened in 1972? He won it in a landslide. Now, there's a different scenario between 19. 19- 72 and 2020, in that different scenario, there's a couple different scenarios taking place here, a couple of different things. Number one, in 1972, you still had a, an America, an America in terms of demographics and in terms of thought that was primarily center-right nationalist. And so what was happening in the 60s, when you look at the rise that took place in 1968, when you look at the violence of the late 60s across American cities, you look at the violence of the Democrat Convention in 1968, you look at all of those things. And of course, Nixon in 1968 was promising to restore order as well. But you look at all of those things, and Americans were disgusted by it because they were predominantly center-right. And they saw these people as the counterculture, the hippies, the rabble-rousers. These are people that weren't necessarily in the mainstream they weren't to be tolerated. And uh, the Democrat nominee for president in 1968 and 1972 were both far left. Okay, so Nixon was able to attach what was happening in 68 and 72. I mean, things had pretty much calmed down by 1972. But he was able to attach that image to the Democrat on the left. And most Americans were not for it. There was a major shift, however, between 1972 and 2020, and that is that you're seeing images across the United States that you never would have seen in the 1960s or 1970s. Soldiers kneeling to protesters. People, and there was a video out there today of this, you have three girls in Washington, D.C., scrubbing graffiti off a, off a federal building, just on their own. They decide they're going to scrub some graffiti, and someone pulls up and says, why are you scrubbing that graffiti off the building? You mean you don't support Black Lives Matter? And the girls say, well, no, no, that's not it. We're just trying to clean up vandalism. But cleaning up vandalism and graffiti is now seen as anti-protest. You see, abnormal behavior has been normalized. So you've got this, and I think that Probably a slim majority of Americans would disagree with that position, but I think it's getting more and more to the point where you're going to see more Americans agreeing with, we need to leave graffiti on things. It's just, and I'll get into some of this in the next episode I'm going to talk about because I think these are important points to make. But this abnormal behavior is now normal. Just simply going out and making sure that your community is clean is now seen as abnormal. To some people, not everyone, to some people. So, and, and when, and we don't, we really don't have a center right United States anymore. We have a center left. We've shifted in the other direction. 
So things that are, you know, adopted. Look, when the left lost in 2016, they decided for the next four years they were going to agitate, instigate, and do everything they could to destroy the Trump administration. Everything they could. The media has been a, a willing partner in this. They were going to do everything possible to tear it down. Now, the right doesn't do that. When Obama won in 2008 and 2012, there were some rumblings and grumblings and things, but they don't attack the way the left does. The left is merciless and they are violent. And I think that's on full display now. I've said it in this on this show, the real danger in America is not the right. I mean, people talk about you know, violent right-wing extremist groups. I mean, where are they? But what you do see is a violent left. I mean, you're seeing it on display. So the only positive that could come out of this, perhaps, is that Americans wake up. And I think a majority right now are saying enough of this. They want this stuff to stop. It's embarrassing. But the problem is, and I'll get into this in the next episode, the education environment is swinging the other way. And this is not going to stop anytime soon. So you've got certainly differences between 1972 or 68 and 2020. And Trump is hoping that what he, by saying he's the law and order president, that's going to rekindle some kind of fire from 1968. Look, this was 52 years ago. Anyone that was a middle-aged person in 1968 that would have voted for Richard Nixon is dead for the most part, right? I mean, you've got some people that were teenagers in 1968, maybe early 20s in 1968 still running around, maybe even late 20s. But most of the people, if you were, you know, if you were in your 40s in 1968, you're probably not around anymore. Your 50s, you're certainly not. So those are the people that put Richard Nixon in office in 68 and 72. They're long gone. What we're left with are people, now middle-aged, who grew up in a far different time, who grew up in a period of time where they were educated by lefties, washed-out hippies. And again, I'll get into this later. But Trump is banking on law and order to win re-election in 2020. He's also banking that the economy on the economy turning around rapidly at the end of the year. And it's not going to happen. I mean, the warning signs are all there that this isn't going to happen. So that's one part of this. But by saying he's a law and order president, he's also said he's going to call up the 82nd Airborne. He's rekindling the spirit of Dwight Eisenhower, who called up the 82nd Airborne to go integrate schools in Arkansas. I mean, so he's pulling out the 1950s and 60s Republican playbook. We're in a far different time period now. But the question to me was, where does Trump have this legal authority to do so? Does he have the legal authority to call up the National Guard to uh, nationalize the militia, essentially, or to send in the troops into the states to put down domestic unrest, to put down riots? Which, I mean, the whole point of these things is not justice for Floyd. It's can I get the newest Apple product or sneakers from Rack Room Shoes by busting in and taking this stuff? And this is what we're seeing. Or can I get the newest television by busting in and shooting a 77-year-old security guard who's uh, just trying to uh, do his job? And can I do these things? And, of course, who's being harmed by this more than anything else? Minority businesses. I mean, this is, not, this is about power 
and simple pillaging and plunder. And that's all this comes down to. It's about making people feel guilty for something they shouldn't feel guilty for because they had no role in any of this. But at the end of the day, this is what we're talking about. So Trump is saying, well, look, let's send in the military. Let's send in the military and let's put these riots down. Now, again, most Americans want the riots to end. They want responses. I've seen as many as 10,000 people have now been arrested for rioting and other things in the United States. So when Trump threatens to send in the federal troops and also nationalize the militia, the National Guard, does he have a legal leg to stand on? Well, the quite simple and succinct answer is no, but I'm going to get into why in this particular show. It took me 10 minutes to get to that no, but I wanted to set it all up. No, he does not have the legal authority to send in the troops. He just can't. Now, I'm going to read the section of the Constitution that clearly shows he does not have that authority. And then I'm going to get into some historical examples in the second half of the show, of this particular episode, and explain how other presidents have abused this power as well. It's not just Trump. Okay, We're going to look at Trump, but it didn't start with Trump. I mean, this is... I used to say it didn't start with Obama. Now it didn't start with Trump. I mean, this is where people need some historical context, and I'm hoping to provide that. So first and foremost, when you look at the power to send in the troops, you have to go to Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution. Um, And Article 4, Section 4 says this, quote, The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and an application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. This is a very important, quote-unquote, clause of the Constitution. We've reduced the Constitution to a series of clauses. Here's another clause. The Article 4, Section 4 clause. So first, let me get into a couple of things about this, and then I'll give you the historical example. So number one, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican foreign government. So the United States central government shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them, not it. See, this is the thing. This is not a national document. It's breaking these states out in a federal manner and shall protect each of them against invasion. This is, I mean, people have brought this up about immigration and other things. If you have a large number of people slamming into a border and coming across the border, is that not an invasion? Or is an invasion simply a military uh, exercise designed to topple a government or to do harm? Can an invasion not be something else? So the United States shall protect each state against invasion. Well, It's a pretty vague term. I think the founders generally conceived of this as a military exercise, right? So um, you look at that as, you know, invasion. It's it's a little vague there. But the last part is the key part for understanding this whole point of can Trump call up the militia, the National Guard, unilaterally. And it says, on an application of the legislature or the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So 
the legislatures of each state or the governor of each state, if the legislature is not in session, would have to request the United States to protect them from domestic violence. Otherwise, the president, more importantly, the Congress, has no authority to do this unless, unless the states themselves ask for it. So pick your state wherever you live. You're listening to this podcast. I know I have people listen, listen internationally, but pick your state if you're in the United States and you say, all right, did our governor request of President Trump or the United States Congress to send in the, the 82nd Airborne, to send in the National Guard to restore order? If the question is no, then the president has violated the Constitution or the Congress has violated the Constitution clearly. And the president is no longer upholding his oath to protect, defend, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Now, we've seen this on countless occasions, which is why I said in nine presidents who screwed up America, just about every president should have been impeached. And I'm going to talk about the first example of this and an egregious example of this on the other side of the break. So I'm going to take a quick break. I'll see you in just a minute, and we'll talk about some historical examples and where Trump is getting his fuel, so to speak, and his uh, historical uh, backing to do something like this. I'll see you in just a minute. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why, and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, and students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 the present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars. You've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum. Or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about Donald Trump, Article 4 of the Constitution, nationalizing the militia, sending in the airborne. Does he have the legal authority to do so? And if not, I mean, what should we do about it? Well, there's not much we can do about it. 
except uh, somebody would have to challenge him on this. And if you want to look at what the Congress could do about it, of course, they could impeach him. Uh, the states could refuse to allow these to allow the National Guard to be nationalized. I mean, this is one of the problems we have with the National Guard, which I think is a completely unconstitutional creation anyways. The National Guard nationalized the militia, which you can't, you can't do that. The, the militia are under control of the states. The National Guard, there's no National Guard. We can't nationalize the militia. But let's talk about some examples of where Trump has the authority in his mind to do it because other presidents have done it as well. In the very first example we have of this is all the way back in the 18th century with George Washington himself. This is why I included George Washington in my book, Nine Presidents Who Screwed Up America. It's why he's there. I talked about this a lot and how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America because it was Hamilton's desire to send in the militia to knock down the quote-unquote Whiskey Rebellion that was taking place between 1793 and 1794. Here we had Alexander Hamilton, Secretary of Treasury, pestering Washington over and over again. Look, these people are rebelling against my tax, which, by the way, wasn't even being collected. But it was a targeted tax at farmers who would never support Alexander Hamilton in the first place. So he knew exactly what he was doing. He was going after his political opponents. And, ex- and this is what Hamilton wanted to do. You see, this is the whole point of federal power, is to take out your opponents. All of this stuff we're seeing right now is to take out their political opponents, to handicap them, to kneecap them so that they can't say anything because if you do, well, you're going to be perceived as this this or this or this. I mean, some nasty pejorative that the left is going to throw at you, right? Even though you could just say, look, I'm against violence. I'm against all violence. I mean, all this violence, looting, plundering, killing people. I mean, what happened was was wrong and what the response has been is wrong. All of this is wrong. That's not good enough anymore. But Hamilton understood that the federal power was necessary to get his vision of America codified. And he needed to smack down the state somehow. So, you've got the Whiskey Rebellion. You've got these farmers in western Pennsylvania. But not just western Pennsylvania. It was taking place all up and down the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, this was, this was a major movement to oppose this whiskey tax. And why? Because farmers had excess grains at the end of the year. The only thing they could do was distill that and sell it. And of course, by having to pay a tax, well, you are now having to be charged for doing something that you have to do to get rid of your excess crops. And this was a sin tax, right? So, I mean, we see these all the time. If you were to poll Americans right now, hey, we should raise taxes, this just happened. There was a poll that was out where Americans were asked, well, what do we do? If we need to raise taxes, we've got this ballooning problem of the deficit. What do we do to make sure we get more money so that we don't have this out-of-control debt and deficit? The very first thing people said we should tax is cigarettes, right? Let's just tax the smokers. Not the liquor, because more people drink liquor. But let's go after the smokers. Let's make cigarettes like $20 a pack. Well, what's going to happen if you do that? 
there are already fewer people smoking. <clears throat> you make them $20 a pack, you can have even less people smoking. So the desired effect is not going to work. I mean, this is not going to have any impact. Cigarettes, you're not going to make as much revenue, right? But Americans are fine with sin taxes. And tax the people that do this stuff. Tax the people that do that. Don't, don't tax me, though. Tax everybody else. And I'll take the money, but don't, don't tax me. So Hamilton needed this tax for a variety of reasons, but one of them was, of course, to make sure that central power was respected in the United States. And you did have some violence on the frontier. You had, or in western Pennsylvania, you had tax collectors getting tarred and feathered. You had uh, one of the collect tax collectors' homes shot up and burned. There were some people that were killed in this. So you had some pretty major unrest. You had, uh, in Pennsylvania, an, an attack on the on the arsenal, the armory in, in Pittsburgh. And so Hamilton is just wringing his hands about this. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, we got to do something, we got to do something. Washington wasn't so sure. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, look, you know, this kind of stuff happens. We just need to kind of let it go. We'll let Pennsylvania take care of it. Hamilton, no, 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 we can't do that. So the cabinet at the time, Thomas Jefferson had already resigned, and the cabinet at the time was Randolph, was the attorney general. He's saying, we don't need to do anything about this. I mean, there's nothing to do. So Washington calls a meeting. In that meeting, he has, of course, Hamilton. He's got Randolph. He's got the governor of Pennsylvania. And he's got the Supreme Court Chief, Chief Justice John Jay. The governor of Pennsylvania, Thomas Mifflin, who, by the way, was very much involved in the ratification of the Constitution. He knew it intimately. And you've got the Chief Justice, John Jay. And Washington says, all right, what should I do? Hamilton we got to send in the troops. Randolph, no, nah, we shouldn't send in the troops. It's illegal. John Jay, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, says, I agree with Randolph. Sending in the troops would be illegal because we've got Thomas Mifflin who's saying, I don't need them. You see, the governor of Pennsylvania, the legislature of Pennsylvania, did not ask for troops. So John Jay is saying, until you get that, you can't send in the troops. Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution is very clear about this. You cannot send in the troops until you've got an application from a state legislature or the governor, if the legislature's not there, you just can't do it. So here we have, in the late 18th century, we're in the first administration. We already have a crisis where the president is being put in a position where can he send in the militia? Well, you've got legal experts saying no. The only person pushing for it is Alexander Hamilton. Hence why Alexander Hamilton screwed up America. So they do an end around all this. Uh, John Jay was then absent for a time, and so Washington and Hamilton go to James Wilson, James de Caledonia. They go to James Wilson because James Wilson is from Pennsylvania. He's on the Supreme Court, and the Militia Act said if you can get a Supreme Court, a federal judge basically, to say that there's combinations too powerful to resist, you can send in the army. So the Congress has now violated the Constitution by saying we don't need the states anymore. You see, this is where the first Congress was problematic. There was a book by a guy named Borderwitch, the first Congress. I, I wrote about it and uh, reviewed the book. That could have been such a great book. He messed it all up. Um, but the fact is, this first Congress was responsible for so many bad things. I mean, well, I should say it wasn't the first. This was 
This was uh, two Congresses, and excuse me. So it wasn't the first Congress, but it was in that first body of men, the founding generation, these first few Congresses that um, have really did damage to the Constitution. So the Militia Act allows the president to call up the militia to put down domestic unrest if he can get a federal judge to say, you need to do it. So they go to James Wilson. He's from Pennsylvania. He hates these Democratic Republicans too. And he says, yep, this is a bad situation. Send in the army. So they do it. And of course, the story is when they get there, they can't really find anybody. Anybody that was ever arrested is pardoned. I mean, it's a disaster PR-wise, but Hamilton knew it had the desired effect, and that desired effect was to ensure that all Democratic-Republican clubs closed up shop and they were no longer around. They're gone. Right? It had the desired effect. He crushed his political opponents with a federal smackdown. That's the first example. And I remember when I wrote Nine Presidents and I was on a major program. It was 11 o'clock at night. I had to do this radio interview. And look, I don't stay up to 11 o'clock at night. So I had to stay up real late, get on this radio show, and I had to talk. And the person had never even read the book. This is what you get. This is what people don't realize. You get these radio interviews. Nobody reads the book. They just get a cheat sheet from the publisher ask this question, ask this question, ask this question, and you do these interviews and you get the same questions over and over and over again. It gets very boring. And, of course, if anybody listens to several different radio programs, they're going to hear the same thing. I mean, I've done it. This guy's on this program, then he's on this program, then he's on this program because he's promoting his book, and he's getting asked the exact same questions. Nothing's new. It's boring. So... The people that actually do read the book, and I'll get those interviews every now and then. I mean, there was a, and a lot of times it's podcasters that'll do it. They'll go through and they'll read the book, and they've got notes, and they've got, and they really are asking you deep questions about what you wrote. That's good stuff. So I get on this national program, syndicated program, one the, it's out of the West Coast, and the guy starts asking me questions, and he says, so tell me who the president screwed up America. He doesn't even know, and I, and I list George Washington. He, I mean, he almost had a coronary... And almost died right there. What? You're saying George... I mean, are you some kook? Are you some crazy guy? How can you say George Washington screwed up America? So I get into the few reasons I I had. Oh, no, 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 no. Washington had... We spent the entire interview, which lasted 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Two segments. That's what I was booked for. Arguing about George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Because how can I say these presidents screwed up America? These are the glorious demigods in American history, right? Now, look, I like Washington. Washington was the most important American in the history of the United States. There's nobody more important. But Abraham Lincoln? Uh, But, of course, you look at the protests. I mean, you've got to go to Lincoln Memorial. I mean, Lincoln. Lincoln is... Highly problematic, and I'll get into that next next episode. But Washington violated the Constitution by sending in the troops to western Pennsylvania. And Lincoln did the exact same thing. So here's another precedent, right? Trump can use. Well, Lincoln did it. You look at 1861. Lincoln calls up 75,000 men to put down the rebellion. He doesn't have permission from any state to march the troops through a state to get to another state. This is exactly why Virginia and, and uh, seceded 
right? Virginia had rejected secession outright. We're not leaving. There's not cause to leave. But once Lincoln called up 75,000 troops, they seceded from the Union because they looked at that as a violation of the Constitution. This is one thing people say about Lee. And, of course, Lee's in the news again because Lee's statue is being taken down because he's a traitor to the Union. He violated his oath to the United States. No. He was upholding his oath to the Constitution, which he took. If you look at the oath that he took, it wasn't to the United States. It wasn't to the president. It was to the Constitution. And Lincoln, by sending in the troops, marching them through Virginia to get to the South, is violating the Constitution. So Lee said, I can't side with this. It's violating the Constitution. I have an oath to the Constitution. In fact, every Southern officer in the United States military that resigned their commission was doing the right thing because the Lincoln administration and the United States government was violating the Constitution by simply marching the troops into the South. You see, that's the problem. Uh, if the states are still in the Union, which Lincoln said they are, then, uh, then you can't do it. South Carolina didn't ask for federal troops. Georgia didn't ask for federal troops. Florida didn't ask for federal troops. Virginia didn't. North Carolina didn't. All these places where you had federal troops, Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, anywhere you had federal troops sent in to put down the insurrection, there was no request from any legislature in any state to do this. Or the governor. Nobody requested it. This is all unconstitutional. If you're saying these states are still in the Union, if you're saying, look, they've never left the Union, secession didn't happen, then Lincoln was violating the Constitution. Now, if secession happened, then Lincoln was violating the Constitution because he didn't have a formal declaration of war from the Congress. So either way, he's violating the Constitution and should have been impeached for that. This is the process by which you have that the president violates the Constitution. They abuse power, which is, I mean, should be a, a charge. And, of course, we know Trump was brought up impeached on abuse of power. The problem is his abuse of power could have been for so many other things, but so could Barack Obama, George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, Ronald Reagan. I mean, take your pick of virtually every American president, and they could have been impeached for abuse of power. This is why I said, and I've said it before, that that charge is going to stick, and that's fine. Then we should impeach every president from here on out because they're all going to abuse power. Let's just do it. I mean, let's decentralize. It's the, it's the only way to solve this problem. Let's decentralize. Let's take the power away from the central authority, and none of this would happen. None of this would happen. You see, one-size-fits-all policies, one-size-fits-all society, and I'm going to get into this again in the next, next episode in more detail. All of that is the real cancer in America. It's not decentralization. It's not local authority. It's not any of that. It's nationalism. And we're seeing it on full display across the United States. It's nationalism that's causing this major catastrophe to be taking place and uh, it's nationalism that would, that would spur Trump to try to nationalize the militia. We don't need a national response. We need local responses. And while we might laugh at some of these local responses and what's happening in California or happening in someplace else, uh, you know, other, other states are dealing with this stuff just fine. And we don't have the same kind of violence or anything else. So, long-winded way to say that Trump has no legal authority to do this unless the state... California says, hey, send in the troops. He can send in the troops. 
if uh, you know, pick your state says it, they can he can send in the troops. But until then, he doesn't. We know it's happened over and over again. Uh, we saw it happening several times in American history. But two best examples, of course, are Washington and Lincoln in terms of major violence. All right. Well, it felt good to be back in the saddle. Thanks for getting on board with me again. We'll be doing this, hopefully, for foreseeable future, two times a week. We're back at it. And I will see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.